May River Mattress Company is the low country of South Carolina's premier mattress store. Located in Bluffton and owned by area native and South Carolina grad Charles Taylor, May River has helped thousands succeed in their quest for a good night's sleep. Go see their sleep specialist today and take advantage of their low price and comfort guarantee. Don't trust your good night's sleep to a national chain. Go see the folks at May River. Give them a call, 843-836-2337 or visit them online, mayrivermattress.com. May River Mattress, where the low country goes to sleep. You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecock Show. This is episode 16 or 17 of the show. I kind of lost track here, but I'll figure that out here another day. And I am so glad to be here with you tonight. I'm recording this show on Thursday, August 3rd. And like I said, it's episode 15, 16, or 17 of the show. I just got to go check my math there. But as always, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt Anderson, and I am your host for all things Gamecock After Dark. A quick reminder, you can reach me at latenightgamecockshow at gmail.com or on the Big Spur message boards under the username Matt Anderson. Again, thank you for joining me tonight, and let's get on to the show. So first off, if you haven't already, I highly recommend downloading the Chief Sports Network app on your Apple or Google device. With this app, you'll have access to all your favorite shows, including the show with JC, Jamie Bradford, and Phil Mullinax, as well as the JC and Morgan show with Mike Morgan and JC Sherbert, delivering comprehensive coverage with a focus on the Southeastern Conference. Additionally, the Chief Sports Network proudly welcomes former Gamecocks Pat DeMarco, Perry Orth, and Michael Flint as they provide valuable insights into Gamecock football. There are plenty of exciting things happening with the network, making it a must-have for Gamecock sports enthusiasts. One of the app's significant advantages is the elimination of ads on YouTube, if you've been listening to the show there. Plus, the app is entirely free, marking a groundbreaking shift in Gamecock sports media. So don't wait any longer. Download the app now and enjoy all the thrilling content it has to offer, including this show, Late Night Gamecock Show. So let's start off off the top here. The big news of the week, we'll just get right to it. Five-star defensive end Dylan Stewart, who is ranked in the top ten of virtually every recruiting website, officially announced his commitment to South Carolina on Tuesday, August 1st, around 11 a.m. Obviously a tremendous pickup. The Gamecocks went toe-to-toe with Ohio State, Georgia, Oregon, and Miami and came out on top for Stewart. For what feels like every episode on this show, I've been trying to say as much as I could about Dylan Stewart because I just knew where the Gamecocks stood with him behind the scenes. There was a volcano that erupted a month ago or so when two crystal balls came in for Stewart to Ohio State, but I kept telling y'all that the Gamecocks felt good and nothing had changed. So this recruitment was, was similar in some respects to Nicholas Harbor's where South Carolina was battling some blue blood programs the entire time. But at the same time, the Gamecocks felt good the entire time through Nicholas Harbor's recruitment. I feel like between Harbor and Stewart and a slew of other prospects from the DMV, that South Carolina is going to continue to be successful up there that way in the future classes. And that is a big deal. The Gamecocks are always going to have to recruit the best players from their home state. They're always going to go into Florida, Georgia. Uh, they're going to touch into, right now, even Texas, um, Alabama, Mississippi, the, really that southeastern footprint. 
But getting up up to the DMV is a big deal. The Gamecocks need to find another pipeline because North Carolina has not been great to them the past few cycles, and I do think that the DMV can be that place. So hats off to Shane Beamer. Hats off to Sterling Lucas and Clayton White for reeling in a very, very big fish. I could go on all night about how big a deal this is for Gamecock football, but instead I just kind of want to summarize and share what some of the experts on 24-7 sports had to say about Stewart's commitment to South Carolina. In summary here, the recruiting experts were unanimous in their praise for Dylan Stewart. Uh, Dylan Stewart is a highly talented pass rusher joining South Carolina. They talked about his transformation, which was evident in his body and his work ethic, as he dedicated himself to improving in the weight room without compromising his speed. Stewart's explosiveness and ability to close gaps make him one of the premier pass rushers in this class, and his versatility presents a challenge for opposing offenses. All of the analysts see him as a polished prospect with tremendous potential for growth, um, definitely an immediate impact guy at South Carolina. They talked about his tenacity, how fast he plays, on and off ball versatility, you know, putting his hand in the ground, standing up. And he, he really is just a mismatched defender for offenses to have to deal with. South Carolina's ability to secure Stewart's commitment, you know, they all felt was pretty significant and just a humongous recruiting win as he was one of the most coveted pass rushers in the country. They talked about the Gamecocks beating out perennial powerhouse Ohio State, and they anticipate Stewart becoming definitely an all-SEC type player, potentially a number one overall draft pick, top five. Really just depended, depends on what, they, on what the quarterback class looks like that year. You know, you're seeing more and more quarterbacks drafted high in the NFL draft. But really excited for the Gamecocks. It can be said that Dylan Stewart's arrival at South Carolina marks a, a powerful and, a, and an exciting recruiting victory for the program's future success because, just listen, I mean, kids take notice. Recruits know where other recruits are going. And the fact that South Carolina has now peeled off Nicholas Harbor, peeled off Dylan Stewart, and with the class that the Gamecocks have right now, I don't think the future has ever been brighter for South Carolina from a recruiting standpoint and the story that they're able to sell. And when we talk about that story, I do want to give you some quotes from Dylan Stewart after his commitment. So I'm just going to read these off to you, and, and we'll start with this one. I love it there, Stewart said. It's the people. They have everything I ever want in a school. I'll be playing in the SEC. I love the town. I love the people there, and I love the scheme that I'll be playing in there. I love the coach, Stewart said. I know he will develop me and get me to the point where I would be successful. He's been in the league, so he knows what he's doing. What made me the most comfortable was the people, he said. I just felt most comfortable there. I could talk to everybody. They would talk to me and tell me how good of a coach Coach Beamer is, what he does for his players, how he treats his players, and stuff like that. They would tell me how the strength and conditioning coach treats them and stuff like that, and how great of a program it is. They genuinely care about the people there, the players. They really take care of their players. It was a no-brainer for me. I don't have to talk to anybody anymore. I'm not making any more visits. I'm done. So you guys just heard those quotes. Those are powerful words from Dylan Stewart. Uh, it talks about, you know, what future big-time recruits can expect at South Carolina. And I couldn't be more excited right now for South Carolina and the trajectory of their own. Dylan Stewart is the highest-ranked player Beamer has, and his staff have landed thus far in their tenure at South Carolina. 
And with the guys they're on already in 2025 and 2026, personally, I don't think it's going to be long before they get some more guys ranked as highly as Stewart and Harbor, or, or maybe guys ranked even higher, which is a, a tough feat nowadays in recruiting. But just hats off to Shane Beamer. Hats off to that defensive staff for selling a vision and selling a plan. Hats off to the NIL folks who are, are helping making these um, attractive packages for players to earn money on their name, image, and likeness, because uh, that matters. That matters a lot, and it's not even where players are actively seeking it, but you have to have an NIL package to get guys like this. So with the addition of Stewart, both the offensive line and the defensive line is starting to pile young talent on top of young talent on top of talented guys already, and the future is just really bright for South Carolina along the the trenches there on the offensive and defensive line. So... Get fired up if you're a Gamecock. This is obviously just a humongous, humongous commitment. And, um, you know, if you have some Ohio State friends in, in our home state of South Carolina, you know, make sure they know that now South Carolina has beaten them three times in a row after the back-to-back Outback Bowls. Right now, there's not much to add at this time on Jonathan Paler and Jalewis Solomon um, or Daniel Hill, for that matter, from last episode. Uh, there might be some stuff that comes out over the next couple of days, but I would kind of imagine that um, you might see some stuff on the big spur, but I would just, I would take everything kind of tongue in cheek. Now is posturing season for these guys. So unless they make a surprise commitment earlier than they have their scheduled announcement dates, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't read too much into it. There's going to be a lot of posturing from different staffs. And if you're on the big spur, you obviously have access to read every other recruiting websites, insiders so there's gonna be a lot of posturing here and just you'll have to wait really until they announce their commitment but with Stewart in the fold the Gamecocks now have the number 16 recruiting class in the country and the 10th best class in the country on a per player rating scale and that's with a punter mixed into the 15-man class so 10th best class in the country per player with a punter that's that's pretty good y'all I don't know how to take the punter out of the class but I don't know how to figure that part out but if you took the punter out of the class, this class would be even higher than 10th best, 10th best class in the country. So just some just some notes here. Let's say the Gamecocks were able to add Lewis Solomon and Daniel Hill in the coming month. As it stands now, the Gamecocks would have the 11th or 12th best class in the country overall. And if they were fi- able to find a way to get Jonathan Paler back in the fold, they would have the 8th or 9th best class in the country. So... Not a bad spot to be in here on August 3rd with um, all these commitments coming over the course of the next month, especially with Jonathan Paler and Julius Solomon in the next couple of days. So as I've said for a while now, don't sleep on this recruiting class based on July. This is going to be a phenomenal class as it stands right now and projects to be even better in the next couple of months. But even if you were to only take Daniel Hill and Julius Solomon and don't add a single additional player the Gamecocks would have finished with the 17th best class in the country last year, which would have been one spot lower. The Gamecocks finished 16th in the country last year, currently ranked 16th in the country. So even if you only add those two players, this is a phenomenal class, guys. Um, obviously, the cherry on top, the crown jewel is Dylan Stewart. But the Gamecocks will take around 10 more guys in this class, including Daniel Hill, Paler, and um, Solomon, if they can get all three. So spurs up, and let's let the welcome homes fly. So as promised, I told you that I was going to start rewatching all of the Gamecock football games from last season. So um, I've written up a, a little bit here. 
um, kind of just my, my thoughts and taking some stuff from some summaries to make, to kind of pull everything together. But, you know, the Gamecocks opened last season with Georgia State. And, you know, the story of the game was South Carolina's special teams. Uh, special teams really paved the way for a 21-point win, 35-14 victory over Georgia State. Shane Beamer has always focused on special teams. And, you know, just like his dad, Frank, there's always going to be an emphasis on special teams. And it really showed in in this game. You know, the two, the two blocked punts for touchdowns were humongous because the offense really was struggling a little bit here and there during this game. It was a slow start. It was a tense start. Um, no one scored in the first quarter. And I remember just watching it live and then, you know, watching it on replay, just getting really frustrated with the offense. I thought the defense played played a great game outside of a handful of, of possessions. The, the Gamecocks defense really showed out. But, you know, the special teams in general, we talked about the two block punts, but um, there was a there was a, an unexpected fake field goal. Um, Hunter Rogers scooted for five yards, got just over that line of scrimmage to give the Gamecocks a, a first a first down and kind of set up that that first. I can't remember if it was a field goal or touchdown. I think it was a touchdown. Yeah, I think that was out that pitch outside to Marshawn Lloyd. But really, really cool, really cool play there. Really just showed that you know Shane Beamer and and, and Pete Limbo are not scared to. You know, throw some surprises at defenses and special teams t- um, coordinators at any time during the game, but the two the two block punts really did you know steal the show. It really turned the tide in South Carolina's favor. Rashad Amos and DQ Smith really emerged as the heroes of the night with those game changing plays. You know, really just stabbing a knife in Georgia State and turning it um, in, in crucial points of the game. The biggest, the biggest thing I remember leading up to this game was talking about Spencer Rattler and him making his debut. Uh, you got to remember, if you go back in time, when Spencer Rattler came to South Carolina, he was one year removed from being a Heisman Trophy contender and really the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy at, at Oklahoma. So all eyes were on Spencer Rattler. And he, he had a couple plays, y'all, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about those plays later that really were stupendous, really were spectacular. But overall, he was um, 23 of 37 for 226 yards. He threw one touchdown pass. He had two interceptions. We'll talk about those interceptions here a little bit later. But I thought that he did well, you know, with that scheme and, and you know, what he had to work with with Marcus Satterfield. I, I don't think that he was fully comfortable with the offense. I don't think anybody on the offense was fully comfortable with the offensive scheme, and I think that they were thinking a lot more than they were playing. But for Spencer to, you know, looking back on it, for Spencer to be in that situation and the players to be in that situation, I really can't find a lot of fault in them for the way they performed, even though I was pissed off watching that game live. Um, You know, Marshawn Lloyd, he had a pretty good game. Uh, he had... 30 yards rushing, which, you know, nobody was able to run the ball in this particular game. Well, well Georgia State was. But South Carolina didn't have any any position players that were able to get any any real traction going. But uh, Marshawn had 30 yards on the ground and had two receptions for 31 yards, and he, he scored two touchdowns. This was a game I left thinking that Marshawn Lloyd could be really special. And as, we, as we're going to talk about games later in the season, there were definitely some games where Marshawn Lloyd kind of showed his agility and his quickness and really popped on film and popped in person. But, you know, I mean, Marshawn could just never stay healthy. But 
I thought in this game when he had opportunities, he looked a lot like LaShawn McCoy from from the NFL to me to start to start this season. I really wish he had stuck around for this upcoming season, even though, you know, you hear a lot of things about Marshawn that have come out lately and kind of a kind of a me guy in some respects. Um loved loved Coach Muschamp, loved Coach Satterfield, but you know, it's probably a blessing in disguise that he's not here, but he sure was a talented player when he was healthy at South Carolina. But South Carolina's offensive line definitely faced some challenges in protecting Rattler. We only had 79 yards rushing for the game. Uh, Gamecocks really struggled to break through the Georgia State defensive line, and it seemed like Sean Elliott and his, and his staff really had a beat on when the Gamecocks were running versus when they were passing because a lot of the highlights – that you know you can if you go watch highlights of this game and you'll see a lot of zone coverage on some passing plays and it's really where Spencer just kind of diagnosed the defense and, and knew what knew what was happening. We'll talk more about that later, but um, when the Gamecocks tried to run the ball, they just really weren't successful. And I don't know if there was a, a tip off on run pay, run plays versus pass plays, but there was definitely something there in the run game where. I don't know if it's offensive line. I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's tipping it off. But the Gamecocks really could not get going on the ground, and that that really was a pain that was prevalent all last season. Um, Gamecocks really struggled to run the ball last year, outside of when you know Marshawn Lloyd had some big games and did his thing. Um, you know Georgia State had 200 yards on the ground. Um, they only threw 29 times, which was actually a lot when you think about it. They didn't throw the ball, I think, their first first possession of the game. I think I went back and it was 11 straight runs before the Gamecocks stopped them on fourth down um, to get the ball the first time of the game after um, J- Jemias Williams, man. He he kind of carved up the Gamecocks' defense a couple times on some runs. And, you know, we, we all remember Jemias Williams and, and what he was like at South Carolina on the defensive side. But – I do think that Darren Granger, the quarterback for Georgia State, had some good moments. He only had seven completions on 29 attempts, but did have 111 passing yards. He had, um, I think, one or two touchdown passes. One was just a complete breakdown with the Gamecock defense. I don't know what happened. I think they were in zone. Someone didn't have their have their zone coverage, you know, locked in where they needed to be because it was just a simple, simple cross, a deep crossing route where he got behind the defense and there was nobody behind where the ball was thrown and that ball was thrown right on the goal line. So Darren Granger hats off to you, man. That was a tough defense you faced, especially with the talent surrounding you. But that was t- kind of the, the story there. Um, just looking through my notes here, you know, obviously you had the two, the two block punch return for touchdowns, but South Carolina was a 12 and a half point favorite. They ended up winning by 21 points. So really, Really, you know, you can never get mad when you cover the spread. Uh, one quick note here at halftime, South Carolina did um, honor Jadavion Clowney, and he got his number recognized in the stadium. And South Carolina is still going to allow people to wear the number seven. But just uh, anytime you can have Jadavion Clowney represented on your stadium when he's kind of been an icon for a lot of kids growing up, especially in South Carolina and around the country when he was the player at South Carolina, it really – Never a bad thing. To tie a bow on the game, South Carolina special teams displayed, you know, just excellent, excellent ability like they did all season long, and it really set the tone for the rest of the season. Um, Let's see. Georgia State um, had 14 first downs, and they converted five of 17 third down attempts, and they were one for three on fourth down. 
They gained a total of 311 yards with 111 passing yards and 200 rushing yards. Passing game struggle, we talked about that, and they did throw an interception. Rushing attack averaged five yards per carry. So one thing that we will all harp on from last year is the yards the yards the Gamecocks allowed per carry to opposing offenses. So this might have been a preview of what was going to come the rest of the season. On the other side, the South Carolina Gamecocks did have a slightly more efficient offensive performance. They did have 19 first downs. They were only 3 of 14 on third downs, but they were 2 for 2 on fourth down. They had 306 yards of offense, 227 passing yards, 79 rushing yards. Rattler was 23 of 37, had two interceptions and a touchdown. The Gamecocks running game really just struggled to gain traction. I sound like a broken record at this point with that. But both teams were penalized during the game. Georgia State had eight penalties for 75 yards, and South Carolina had five penalties for 70 yards. Um, Gamecocks had the ball for 35 minutes and 16 seconds, while the Georgia State Panthers had the ball for 24 minutes and 44 seconds. Real quick on Spencer Rattler, I know that there were some throws that he would probably like to have back, but I did want to highlight some of the plays that I took note of and thought were impressive. In the first quarter, and guys, you can find this game on YouTube. That's where I watched it. Unfortunately, there's not a condensed version, so you kind of, Kind of have to watch the entire game. Thankfully, there's no commercials, but it is about a two-and-a-half-hour watch if you if you want to go back and watch it. But I did put in here the the time on the on the game clock. So if you're just fast-forwarding and you want to see the plays that I'm talking about or you want to do that live with me right now, by all means. But with 11.31 left in the first quarter, it was a first and 10. Spencer let a blitzing linebacker come full force into his face. Um, he was patient and took his time and delivered a strike across the middle for a first down to the running back out of the backfield. This was just really good recognition of the linebacker letting the running back go past him. Spencer waited just long enough to let the running back get free, which I think was Marshawn Lloyd, and he got free for a nice first down. So really good play recognition there, diagnosed it, allowed the guy to blitz him, and um, really got that ball out and on target. Really good play there from, from Rattler. With a 9.02 left in the first quarter, it was second down and seven. There was a play action where Spencer rolled out to his right. And um, on the play action, he let the defense see his back. So I do think that they didn't really know where the ball was. And he rolled out to his right. Great blocking there. Um, allowed Spencer to find a wide receiver. I can't remember if it was Josh Van or if it was Jalen Brooks or it might have even been Juice. I couldn't tell because the way that the way that this video was set up, it cut it cut away right after the play, even though it showed all the pre-snap stuff. So I can't I can't remember which which wide receiver it was. I think it was I think it was Juice Wells, but it was a 12-yard comeback route, beautiful ball placement, and that was there for another first down. 2:56 left in the first quarter, second and ten, classic shotgun five-wide formation. Rattler drops back, rolls to his right, and places a ball in the perfect spot for Jalen Brooks outstretched hands for a 30 plus yard first down. I think that this was the most impressive throw of the game for Spencer. And I do recommend, I mean, you guys can probably remember that right now in your head, but just a shotgun rolled, right? Lobbed that ball perfectly up in the air, hit him in stride. And I think that if Jalen was a little bit faster, that could have been a touchdown, but regardless, it was a, it was a 30 plus yard, 30-plus 30, 30 yard catch and first down for the Gamecocks. Moving on to the second quarter, uh, 15 minutes left in the second quarter. So first play of the second quarter, um, 
second and long. I couldn't quite tell exactly how far it was, but it was a little over a little over ten yards. It was another five five wide shotgun formation. Georgia State dropped seven back in in zone coverage, and Spencer just found the soft spot in the zone. Easy throw and catch right at the sticks for a nice first down to Juice Wells. Second quarter still, 7.44 left, second and seven. Shotgun formation, it was a tight shotgun formation with a lot of guys kind of bunched around the offensive line. Rattler ran to his left, um, then he eluded a tackler, and he ran all the way back to the right sideline. I'm not sure which receiver he was targeting, but I think both of these guys could have called it. The guy closer to um, the first down line ended up snagging it out of midair, but I think if he had let that ball go, and I, like I said, I can't, I can't tell you who it was, if he had let that ball go, we probably could have got another 10, 15 yards on that play. And, and I watched that play three or four times over just to try and figure out who Rattler was going to, and I think it was actually the guy further downfield. But either way, you're going to take the first down, <clears throat> and I'm sure that there was some conversation about that play. Um, and it might have been two wide receivers going to the same place. Maybe, that, maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But um, first down, you'll take it nonetheless. Still, still in the second quarter. If you go to the 4:20 mark left in the in the second quarter, uh, first and ten, it's play action. Spencer rolls right from under center, hits receiver downfield on a comeback route for another first down. Any time that any time that Spencer looked great, it seemed to be in zone coverage from Georgia State. I, I think that I think he's just able to see that when he doesn't have a lot of pressure in his face, he's got the arm strength to be able to torch his own his own defense and. When they were only rushing four, it was just pick your poison with Rattler. So um, pretty cool to see there and something that um, was exciting, you know, watching it because it, it happened over and over again. I'm sure I'm going to mention that more, you know, going through some of these plays. Still in the second quarter, this was third and 18, 33 seconds left to halftime. Spencer has a great throw downfield. Again, just torching his own defense um it was third and 18 it was a 16 yard completion over the middle to Jalen Brooks um yeah would you have liked the first down absolutely but to get with fourth and two with this little time left around the 50 yard line uh you're gonna be likely going to go for it and try and get some points on the board and that's exactly what the Gamecocks did the next play was a run by Marshawn Lloyd um Georgia State got called for um Personal foul, moved the ball up 15 yards, and the last play of the first half was um, the second field goal for Mitch Jeter. Both of those, by the way, were over 50 yards, and both of them I think would have been good from 60 60 yards ish. Um, just absolute boots. If you haven't if you haven't gone back and watched it, I might just go back to watch those field goals because they were they were absolutely mammos and really set the tone for for what Mitch Jeter will be able to do the rest of the season. All right, so third quarter, open the second half, and this is when Spencer threw his first interception. It was kind of a tipped ball. I'm not really going to put that one on Rattler. It it kind of went through the wide receiver's hands, and I don't know if the wide receiver would like just tap the ball in the air ever so slightly, but it was kind of a tip drill was what it looked like to me, and um, Georgia State ended up intercepting it. And this is about the time I was ready to, to throw my phone through the TV screen because I was frustrated. Gamecocks were up, I think it was 12 to 6 or something like that. And anyway, long story short, right after that, I can't remember if it was this drive or the next, but Georgia State ended up taking the lead 14 to 12. So that was the first interception. I don't really put a lot of it on Rattler. But um, moving on, 10 minutes, 
to go in the third quarter, second and 16. Spencer goes under center. It's a three-step drop back. He found Jalen Brooks on a crossing route under the coverage for a long gain, another first down. Jalen Brooks looked really good in this game, by the way. I know that I'm trying to highlight the, the players that are still at South Carolina, but I can, based on this game and some other some other um, games that Jalen Brooks had, I see why he was drafted um, by, I think he got drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. So I see why he got drafted. Um, 9.22 left in the third quarter, first and 10. Shotgun, tight bunch formation. Georgia State again dropped back in zone, and Rattler scrambled up and to the right before he crossed the line of scrimmage. He hit Juju Smith for a nifty short throw that ended up in a first down. That was just ingenuity from Spencer. He kind of scrambled, was about to run it, then saw that he had a quick little kind of pitch pass to Juju, and Juju McDowell took that for a first down. 7.27 left at second and 10 in the third quarter. Shotgun, five wide, three-step drop. Got the ball out to Marshawn, Marshawn Lloyd to the far left sideline for a touchdown. Showed a lot of arm strength on this ball to get the ball out to that left side so quickly. And you could see that he analyzed the mismatch pre-snap, quickly diagnosed the play, and it was really an easy touchdown. It looked like an easy touchdown, but trust me, that was a hard throw, and that was a lot that went into that pre-snap. So only a couple more here for Spencer. If you go back in the third quarter, there's seven minutes and 20 seconds left. Um, that's right after the Marshawn, Marshawn Lloyd catch and touchdown. Um, Gamecocks are going for two here. It was a five-wide shotgun formation. Spencer drops back and immediately sees a small hole to the end zone. He gets in by about three feet for the two-point conversion. He showed some poise there and trusted his gut to get the Gamecocks up eight halfway through the third quarter. So fourth quarter, um, 8.56 left, second and 12. Uh, five-wide shotgun. It was an easy pass and catch to the left side where the receiver kind of just sat in the zone. And sat in the zone and kind of then lately kind of baited the zone defender, I should say. And then he kind of quick slanted and a, kind of a late quick slant, but it was an easy completion versus the zone defense, and that went for another first down. So Spencer did throw two interceptions in this one. The first one we talked about went through the receiver's hands. The next one came with eight seconds left in the third quarter on a rollout to the right side, and this is a throw that Spencer had no business throwing. If there's one boneheaded play that Spencer had in this game, it's this one. He threw a ball into three white jerseys. The ball hit the Georgia State kid in the numbers. There was one receiver in the area, but there were three white shirts. Had he thrown the ball away or even tried to find someone closer to the line of scrimmage, um, he could have extended the drive. Even if he had been able to run for it himself, it was third and two. And, you know, worst case scenario, throw the ball out of bounds or it falls incomplete and you punt the ball and put Georgia State deep in their own territory or even go for it on fourth down. So that one was a boneheaded mistake. So that's really the big thing that I can kind of give a little um, a little bit of, I don't know, a little bit of constructive criticism to Spencer. <laughs> don't make that play, buddy. Um, overall, Spencer had a decent day, nothing to write home about, um, but did have some good snaps in there, good plays. And um, he had a quarterback rating of 23.6, which I don't think really tells the whole story. I think that you know, the offense just looked discombobulated the entire game. I don't know if the play calls were always the best play calls for down and distance. Uh, and like I said, one interception I don't put squarely on him. Some other returners of note, Juju McDowell had seven carries for 14 yards with a long of four yards. And he had three catches for 18 yards with a long of 16. Juice Wells had seven catches for 55 yards and a long of 16 yards on a catch. Uh, Marion Brown had one catch for one yard. 
On defense, Debo Williams had a tackle for loss and five total tackles, three of them solo. Jordan Strong and Mo Kamba both had big days. Um, when obviously we lose Jordan Strong and Mo Kamba next game against Arkansas. But Jordan Strong had four total tackles, three of them solo, and one and a half tackles for loss. And Mo Kamba had four total tackles, three of them solo, and half a tackle for loss. I will say that Marce- Marcellus Dial looked really good to me when I rewatched this game. I'm getting more and more impressed by his cover skills the more I go back and watch last year when he's on the screen. And I see why he's getting some NFL buzz. So that was the Georgia State game. I do have a little bit more here for you. Um, but actually, actually, um, let's see. I'm trying to see how much time I have left. Yeah, I got time for this. This will be fun. So on the Big Spur, I had a conversation with a poster. And he asked me to break down and share what Dowell Loggins did at the NFL level after I mentioned that he's a guy that melds his offensive scheme to his players' talents. So I had heard that from some folks around the program that, you know, he was a guy that was going to really key in on what his players can and can't do. But I didn't think my answer was good enough for this poster, so I wanted to dig a little deeper. And that desire to look deeper is kind of driving me to rewatch every game and take note of what players did well, you know, what concepts worked, and when the players seemed to feel comfortable. Well, kind of going back to Spencer when he Spencer when he sees his own his own defense, I think he looks pretty comfortable most of the time, at least in this game. I haven't rewatched every game yet, but that's why I spent some more time on Spencer's good throws than his bad ones. You know, when I talked about this, because I just wanted to see what he did well. I, I don't think that Dowell Loggins is going to put the players this year in many situations that they don't that don't play to their strengths. I've been told that Coach Loggins has been deep into the game film from last year and the practice film from last year all off season to identify where players can succeed under his tutelage. So I did a deep, a deep dive into what Dowell Loggins did as an offensive coordinator at the NFL level, and this is what I found. So he had stints as an offensive coordinator for the Titans, the Bears, and the Dolphins. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the playbook and you know talk about how he tried to put his players in the, in the best position to succeed. So starting in Tennessee um, – Coach Loggins leveraged the talents of his dual-threat quarterback, Jake Locker. They ran a West Coast offense, and that was kind of just built around Locker, emphasizing short, horizontal passes to methodically move the chains. A key play that he ran was the levels concept. For those of you who don't know, a levels concept creates a vertical stretch on the defense, and it would give Locker multiple targets. So Locker's mobility further allowed Loggins to, inco- to incorporate the read option. And you're seeing the read option a lot more in college football now, especially over the past couple of years. And it's just a play that forces the defenders to decide between the quarterback and the running back. Who has the ball? Who are you going to key in on? Who are you going to give your attention to? So Jake Locker was a young quarterback when Dowell Loggins had him. The West Coast offense is designed to get the ball out quick. Um, so... It's really, you know, a tough situation that, that Loggins was put in with a, a young quarterback and not a lot of skill at wide receiver. And I think that was, was a recurring theme for Dowell Loggins in the NFL. And especially being an offensive coordinator at such a young age, he, he really was and, and still in my mind is considered a mastermind of offense. Now, can he dial the plays up and dial them up in the, in the right order, you know, kind of like what Steve Spurrier used to do? I can't say that for certain, but I can say that the guy knows how to scheme up an offense and play his guy's strengths. And remember, in Tennessee, he had Chris Johnson, so he's he he knew that that he probably need to have he he knew that with Chris Johnson, a zone blocking scheme was going to be the best the best scheme because you know with the zone blocking scheme they're just blocking a certain area, so that gave Johnson freedom to exploit gaps in the defense. 
the marriage of scheme and skill was a pivotal factor in the Titans' successful ground game during Loggins' tenure there. So really successful um, on the ground there. And this was a pretty balanced offense. When I went back and looked at the at the numbers, it was pretty much 50-50 run versus pass. So that was him and his first offensive coordinator stint. I think that's what he would like to do at South Carolina as well. I think he'd like to be as balanced as possible. But I just don't know if he's going to be able to, you know, replicate what he did at, at Tennessee. But when he got to Chicago, there were obviously the NFL has different sets of talents. But um, he did have Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen, and those guys were really good running backs back in the day. If you guys don't remember them, but Logan switched gears to a more power running game. So this already talking about how Dow Loggins will switch things up and he will um, adapt to his players. Because you think about Chris Johnson, he's not a hard nose between the tackles runner. He was a guy you get into space and let him go. But when Dowell got to Chicago, um, Jordan Howard was known as a hard nose between the tackles runner, and then um, Tar- and then Tariq Cohen was more of an outside guy. So what he would do is he would pull his guards to open up lanes for both um, Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. And the idea there was with Cohen's agility and speed, he was used as a change of pace back to kind of get into gaps and outside runs and then as a receiving threat as well. While Jordan Howard, they were just trying to create as much space for him as possible to be able to get downhill fast and get to the linebackers as quickly as possible. So the run-heavy approach set up um, play-action passing opportunities there. He used a Yankee concept, which is a play involving two receivers running deep crossing routes. And it really allowed them to maximize the talents of Alshon Jeffrey, who Gamecocks, remember, had crazy size and leaping ability. And Alshon Jeffrey really had you know, a great career in the NFL. And he, and he has a lot of good things to say, um, even right now, about Dowell Loggins and his time you know, with, with Dowell Loggins at, at Chicago. But that brings us to Miami. Um, Loggins once again evolved his strategy to fit his personnel. He had Ryan Tannehill at the helm, and, and Ryan Tannehill was not a great quarterback back then, guys. you got to remember, Ryan Tannehill was a converted wide receiver to quarterback at Texas A&M. And so Loggins implemented a hybrid system that blended his past schemes and introduced new ones. He, he used a lot of run-pass option, makes sense, that allowed Tannehill to make decisions based on the defensive actions. Another notable addition was the Air Coriel system. Um, which really helped exploit Tannehill's deep ball accuracy. And the switch verticals concept created mismatches and stretched the field, benefiting, benefiting speedsters like wide receiver Kenny Stills. If you remember back in the day, Kenny Stills was, was famous for getting deep. So in Miami, Loggins transitioned to a gap or man-blocking scheme in the run game, opening specific holes for powerful backs like Frank Gore and then obviously the speedy Kenyon Drake. It allowed for a dynamic, a dynamic running game that kept defenses guessing. Uh, so kind of go back to, you know, his time at, at Chicago and then with Frank Gore being a little bit different than um, Kenyon Drake, same kind of thing. He, he, he kind of worked his, worked his players for his system. Sorry about that. The dog started barking downstairs. It kind of took me, took me out of my element there. But looking back, it's clear that Dowell Loggins really does adapt to what he has scheme-wise. And that's something that you don't see a lot of NFL offensive coordinators do. Usually it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug this round hole into a square, or this round circle into a square hole. They want to they wanted run their stuff. And that's kind of what Marcus Satterfield did at South Carolina. So, I mean, that's exactly what Marcus Satterfield did <laughs> at South Carolina, I should say. So, just... I want you guys to be excited 
about Dowell Loggins. I want you guys to be excited about seeing, you know, opportunities when Juice Wells doesn't, you know, have zero targets against Georgia. I mean, that's not going to happen under Dowell Loggins. He's emphasized that he wants to put guys in the right position, capitalize on their abilities, and it's something that has been missing from South Carolina for a number of years now. But, y'all, that is all the time we have for this episode or this this show um, tonight. Thank you so much for listening to the Late Night Gamecock Show. If you would like to get in touch with me, remember you can reach me at latenightgamecockshow at gmail.com or you can find me on the Big Spur message boards under the handle Matt Anderson. Give me a shout. Let me know if there's anything that you enjoyed about this show. Give me a shout if there's anything that you'd like for me to talk about. I'm, I'm here for y'all, and I'm excited to be, be coming to you guys twice a week and, and bringing you guys a lot of you know, content with um, the J.C. Sherberts and um, the John Whittles of the world and, and some other folks that you know, we're going to have on the show here soon. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. I appreciate you giving me the most valuable thing you have, which is your time. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart, and I hope you guys have a great night, and we will talk soon.